Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Sister Marsha Joyce, this is going to be a blockbuster show. We have Philip Marmalin here, the author of Murder at Black Oaks, and this is totally different. When does a prosecuting attorney show remorse for getting someone convicted of murder? I'm taking this straight on my book review. This is my brilliance, people. What happens when the death penalty is a sentence and one man will spend 30 years of his life in prison wrongly accused. And this is a very important issue of several books that I've read. So we're going to learn more about Jose Alvarez. Welcome to the show, Phil, and so glad you're here. Oh, I'm always uh, happy to be on your show. I seems like I do at least once a year. I hope so, and I can't wait for the next one to come in so I can stick you back on my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually in New York being edited now, so uh, oh, good. I have another one coming out, and I'm, that's, I think, my 27th book, and now I'm working on my 28th, so uh, at least uh, two more two more appearances. Oh, that's easy. Just let me know when, and I'll, if I, no matter what I have to do, I'll squeeze in. No problem. I, I, I've been doing like four a week. I don't know how. So tell us yeah. a little bit about um, – the summary, Rob, how did you create the first court scene that was like heart-throbbing? My God. And was this a real case? No. Uh, in Just a little background for the Good. people that, that uh, are listening. Uh, the, the murder of Black Oaks is sort of a, uh, I guess, a hybrid is the best way to explain mm-hmm. it. It's part legal thriller and part Agatha Christie locked room murder, um, haunted house mystery. Uh, and the way everything gets started is the uh, there's a, a prosecutor, Frank Melville, and mm-hmm. when he was young, he was in the district attorney's office and prosecuted death penalty cases. And one of his... People, one of the people that he sent to death row was Jose Alvarez. And uh, he always felt a little bad about the death penalty because Jose was a uh, from immigrant parents, uh, mm. grade A student. His parents sacrificed everything. He went on to become a, a straight A engineering student at a very uh, good school. And then he was charged with murdering his girlfriend. And uh, even though he got the death penalty because uh, Frank did such a great job arguing for it, mm-hmm. uh, Frank always felt bad about it. And then years later, uh, he represented the key 
witness in the case, uh, someone who had claimed to have seen uh, Jose mm-hmm. running out of the dorm room right around the time of the murder. And after he, uh, while he was representing this guy, uh, he he confessed that he had actually done the murder and he had uh, testified against Jose so that no one would think he was involved. But there's something called the attorney-client privilege. And mm-hmm. that, uh, I, was a, I was a criminal defense lawyer for 30, uh, pardon me, 25 years. I did 30 homicide cases, argued in the Supreme Court. Uh, and one of the most important rules in criminal defense is the attorney, and it's actually in any, any kind of uh, case, it's the attorney-client privilege. And what that means is that an, an attorney cannot tell anybody, his wife, n- nobody, something that a client tells it. And it's really an important rule because uh, you need to have the client be willing to be completely honest with you. Otherwise, you can't really do a good job representing him. Mm-hmm. So this attorney-client privilege bars, even even after death, bars uh, an attorney from telling anybody what a client told them in confidence. So when when the when Archie Stallings, the the key witness against Alvarez, says I did the murder, uh, Frank can't tell anybody about that and. So, uh, and and this isn't spoiling because this is all, the reader will find Mm -hmm. this out right at the very beginning of the book. So I'm not spoiling anything. Uh, So what happens is after Frank, 30 years later, learns that Stallings has died and he hires uh, my series heroine, Robin Lockwood, to uh, try to get, figure out a way of getting Jose off death row where he's been rotting for 30 years. And so that's the setup for the court scene. It didn't come from a uh, any case that I had ever handled. Um, but what there there have been real cases where that mm-hmm. is that has been uh, that has come up. Um, I, I know the famous one I think is where uh, the lawyer for this uh, murderer uh, knew where the dead bodies of, I think there was two corpses, where they were, but was mm. unable to tell anybody about it because of the attorney-client privilege. But anyway, in, in this court scene, uh, and I'm not going to tell how how Robin does it, but she and her, uh, her associate and and they they figure out a legal way of getting um, uh, Frank Melville's testimony in uh, in a, in a hearing to try to get uh, Jose off death row. So I made it up. I made up the thing. It wasn't based on a real case, but I had to figure as a lawyer, putting my lawyer hat on, which I have haven't done since. Uh, I retired in 1996 to write full time, mm-hmm. but I had to figure out if I had been hired in this case, how would how would I figure how would I be able to get a, someone off? Uh, so it was a lot of fun trying to 
you know, be a lawyer again and figure out this complex issue. That, that's that's amazing. So I'm reading this from my my review. This is really good. <laughs> this way I can see it. Now you see, he summons Robin to his house, right? And she goes to Black Oaks. And I have to say this: as she's traveling there and getting there, I'm having heart palpitations because of the weather. It was horrible. So he invites her to come. Black Oaks has a bad history, and from the minute she gets there, she realizes that she has to literally stop. The hairpin turns and everything. So after 30 years, she invites her to come, and this house doesn't sound like any place that you want to go to. So I'm surprised <laughs> she even, yeah, no, the house has a curse <laughs> on it too, right? And he's not afraid. So that's, that's scary. So how did you create Black Oaks? Because basically, I mean, when she walked in, I think she wanted to walk out. I would have walked out. <laughs> Seriously. Well, I, I guess this might be a good place to explain why I wrote the book. Um, yeah. And 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 that that plays right into uh, why I created this really spooky uh, mansion. Mm. Uh, when I was a when I was a kid. And I'm talking about starting in elementary school. Uh, I've, 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 I've always been a really a voracious reader. I still read mm-hmm. two to three books a week. And when I was young in elementary school, um, the books that I read <clears throat> shaped my, my careers. Uh, I was just hooked on Ellery Queen. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know who he is, uh, he's actually two people, uh, Frederick Daney and, and Manfred Lee. And they wrote a, a series of murder mysteries that uh, for decades. And that what was unique about them is they're, they're the sort of considered the king of the fair play mystery. The fair play mystery is one where there are clues. There's a murder. And in in the mystery book, in the, in the novel, are clues. And if you can figure out the clues, if you can spot them, you can actually deduce who the killer is. Mm. And they're fair. And uh, so I I just loved Ellery Queen, Agatha Christie, uh, with Hercule Poirot's, Poirot's Little Gray Cells, uh, John Dixon Carr. Uh, and now this is this is considered the thir- 30s, 40s, and 50s considered to be the golden age mm. of the classic mystery. That's when all these phenomenal mystery writers were writing. John Dixon Carr was the king of the locked room murders. There was always in one of his books uh, a murder that was impossible. The, uh, someone would be killed inside a room that was locked from the inside. There would be no murder weapon there, which means that the killer had to have been inside the room but gotten out somehow, but it seems impossible. Uh, so these are, these are, the, um, <clears throat> these are the, the writers that inspired me to write the type of mysteries that I do. Now, the flip side of that also is <clears throat> Perry Mason, uh, Earl Stanley mm-hmm. Gardner's Perry Mason. And those that I read every <clears throat> Perry Mason I could get my hands on. <clears throat> Pardon me, I got a frog in my throat all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when I when I was 
12 years old, I decided that the only thing I wanted to do when I grew up was uh, be a, try murder cases, do murder cases. And actually, for 25 years, that's what I did. So my legal career was inspired by Perry Mason's, uh, Errol Stanley Gardner's Perry Mason legal thrillers. And my writing career was was shaped by these golden age writers, Agatha Christie, Ellery Queen, John mm. Dixon Carr, and, and many others. So <clears throat> when I finished um, The Darkest Place, which came out in March, uh, mm-hmm. that was my fifth book in the Robin Lockwood series, I, I started thinking, well, what, what, what am I going to write next? And I decided that <clears throat> I would try to have fun, and it's been just a ball writing this book, and write an Agatha Christie-type murder mystery. And uh, and so <clears throat> in order to do that, I did what Agatha Christie does. She, she always had a manor house. Sometimes they're a really spooky manor house. And she mm-hmm. would have a group of uh, of suspects in the house that were everybody would have a motive to murder the victim. There'd be a murder and then you'd have maybe five or six suspects and Hercule Poirot would be at the manor house and he would have to figure out who the killer was. And uh, her most famous, uh, well, she had a lot of most famous books. She had a ton of them, but, but the one that a lot of people know is, and then there were none where, mm-hmm. All of these people are lured to a to an island. They don't know each other, and then uh, they get murdered one by one. And you have to figure out who the killer is. And so I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun if I could write a, a book that's like Agatha Christie's books and like Ellery Queen's books with the clues, and like John Dixon's Car with an impossible murder. So uh, the first thing I had to do was create a a spooky mansion. And Black Oaks in the book, uh, Murder at Black Oaks, is a brick-by-brick recreation of Black Oaks, which is a cursed manor house on the English moors. And Mm. Frank Melville's uh, wife, who who dies in in a car accident that cripples him and leaves him in a wheelchair... Uh, was a, a fanatic European history uh, uh, major and just loved European history. And she's also extremely wealthy. She, she inherited this huge fortune, the logging fortune from uh, her father. And she's a solaire. So she had the money to recreate this Black Oaks mansion on top of Solitude Mountain. And I tried to think of the spookiest name I could for the mountain. And so this is a, a recreation with secret passages, dungeons, and and all the works that you find in the old uh, movies from the 40s and the Agatha Christie books. That ha- They always have some sort of secret passage and uh, mm. various things. And then I gave it a werewolf curse uh, to add a little bit of spice to everything. And so... <laughs> yeah. uh, so the setting is uh, what happens is after uh, Robin is able to free uh, Jose from 
uh, from prison, uh, Frank invites Jose, Robin, and Ken Breland, who's her investigator, to come to Black Oaks to celebrate. And when they get there, there's a horrible storm uh, that creates mudslides that block the roads. So everyone is trapped on top of Solitude Mountain where they have very poor cell phone uh, reception and the phones go out and then all sorts of, of spooky goings on, including uh, murder occur. I know, and it's good. I, I mean, forget it. Rain like that and she couldn't see and then the hairpin turns and they were lucky they made it. So when they finally get there, hmm, they meet two people, Nellie and Sheila. So who are they? And then they finally meet Frank. And then we're going to get to the well, part that really scared me. Well, Nellie is, is Frank Melville's daughter. And she, inspired by her, her mother who had passed away, developed an interest in, in uh, European history. And she was studying at Oxford when her uh, when the horrible car accident that killed her mother and crippled her father occurred. So she gave up her, uh, she left college, uh, left mm. Oxford and came back to the States. And she is taking care of her father. Uh, Sheila is, uh, is Frank's research assistant. Um, she's very beautiful and, uh, and intelligent and uh, uh, Frank, falls in love with her but she, mm-hmm. she's up there on on the mountain and, and is living with Nellie and Frank at Black Oaks and she's I don't know about those two now this is the part that got me nervous because it's happened to me when I lived in the Bronx elevators god how did you create this horrible elevator that does what it does because well, I, I, don't want to talk about, I don't want to talk about the elevator too much because yeah, I know. Uh, uh, my the, the the most fun I had writing this book, and I'm pretty good at solving murder mysteries when I read murder you know murder mm-hmm. uh, mystery novels. Yeah, me too. But the locked room murders drive me crazy, and I I have a real hard time figuring out. Uh, who done it, and how? It, not so much who done it, but how it was done uh, mm-hmm. when there's a locked room murder. So, for for listeners who have never read a book with a locked room murder, uh, <clears throat> the, the what you have to do as a writer is you have to create a murder in a situation where it seems impossible uh, for the mm-hmm. killer to have committed the crime. So in Murder at Black Oak, uh, a victim, I'm not going to say who it is, is killed in this cage elevator. And it's one of the only additions. Nellie has the elevator built in in the recreation uh, because her dad is now in a wheelchair and uh, wouldn't be able to get up the stairs. So there's a uh, it's it's modeled after the old cage elevators, and the murder occurs 
in between the second and third floor. When the elevator stalls, it stops between the second and third floor. And uh, the the way the 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 killing is set up, the and I won't tell you any of the more of the details because spoil some of the mm. fun. But the killer had to have committed the murder inside the elevator. But when the elevator stops, there are people on the landing above on the third floor and people coming up the stairs. And, of course, the elevator is stuck between the floors so that nobody can physically get out of the elevator there and nobody sees anyone coming up or down the stairs. So uh, that was the most fun that I had. Uh, and I had to keep on changing things around, and I'd say, okay, oh, wait a second, this this won't work if this happens, so I better add or subtract stuff. So I, I had just had a ball um, trying to figure out one of the, how to create one of these impossible uh, crimes. Yeah, well, you got me, and I said, you know what? I wa- I live on this on the seventh floor, and the steps on this in this building are horrible so I pray for the elevator every day and I used to get stuck in the elevator in the Bronx and I was on the 17th floor and getting stuck between 13 and 14 and having to pray to jump I literally jumped down so ah. I got a lot of excess yeah I lost a lot of weight walking 17 flights because I decided the elevator was not my friend so <laughs> now you added a second plot the guy Quarry who wants them to him to do his film and he got mad because he didn't quite get the same VIP treatment he thought he deserved. So how come you included him? And well, how does Nelly react to yeah. that? Yeah, Quarry, you know, when you do one of these Agatha Christie type mm. murder mysteries, you have to have a lot of suspects. So and they they have to be different and unusual. So uh, Corey Rockwell is a washed-up action uh, mm-hmm. action film star. He was a he was a, 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 a big star in, in like sort of a Bruce Willis type guy in uh, Hard to Kill, and then they did Hard to Kill Two and Harder to Kill. And so he was making a ton of money. The films were doing great. He was a star at the same level as you'd have Bruce Willis or uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Everybody knew him. And then he got involved with with a a number of scandals, and his career went uh, went down the toilet. But the reason he became a big star is that he married a very famous movie star who was murdered. And she was the one that helped him get the part in Hard to Kill, which was not supposed to be that big a deal. It was supposed to be mm. just another action movie. But uh, when his wife was murdered, the publicity from her murder trial sort of launched his career. However, uh, even though he had an alibi, there was always a suspicion that he might have been the person who killed his wife because they were having mm-hmm. marital problems. But someone else, a homeless man, was convicted of the crime and sent to to prison. And uh, so uh, Frank Melville, when he uh, 
recovers from his accident and then you know and has found out, found out that he's responsible for putting an innocent man in mm. uh, on death row he dedicates his life to trying to free innocent people who are uh, in in prison for murder and he is suspicious about the Corey uh, uh, Corey Rockwell case, the, the his the, the wife's murder, um, and so that's one of the uh, the crimes that he's investigating, and mm-hmm. he invites Corey Rockwell to Black Oaks uh, with a ruse. He tells him that he's he's thinking of financing a movie about the murder and wants Rockwell to star in it, and Rockwell. Um, is lured there because he thinks this will jumpstart his career, his dead, his his dead career. Because all all he's doing now is making D movies that just go right to mm. uh, right to streaming services. So uh, he's hoping that this will restart his career. But of course, uh, when he he suspects that that there's more to this, that Melville's actually mm. trying to get is uh, prove that he did the murder. He he becomes a suspect with a motive to kill uh, kill Frank Melville. That's really scary. That that the place is not safe. Robin was <laughs> lucky if she comes if she gets out alive. Now let's get back to Jose for a minute before we talk about how Robin tries to figure out what happened to whoever figured out whoever gets killed. Jose goes there and he stays in his room. He's not very happy to be there. So how does he? He doesn't react very well to Frank, does he? He sort of stays recluse by himself. Well, Jose uh, Alvarez uh, has been rotting. He had a, a brilliant yeah. career ahead of him. He was going to be able to get his parents out of, uh, you know, a poverty. Um, and then, of course, every he's absolutely crushed. Uh, his whole life is destroyed when he is. Uh, he's convicted of a murder he didn't commit. So mm. when he finds out that Frank Melville knew that he was innocent for decades, uh, he becomes very bitter. Even though Melville is trying, has hired Robin to get him out of prison. So when he is invited to death to uh, Black Oak, he's still he he's. Even though Melville's the one that hired Robin to get him out, he is still extremely angry. And so he has a motive to kill Frank Melville. So so I, I, I have trying to set up a whole bunch of people at Black Oaks that uh, would have a reason to commit murder. Um, and so, you, when you, again, when you do an Agatha Christie type, mm. uh, and then there were none mystery in a haunted mansion, you've got to give each one of the suspects a strong motive for murder. And that's what I did with Jose. And I, I was wondering, should, should I give a, a little bit of background on Robin? Yeah, I was going to say that that was my second question. But you know what? Did you read, um, I just read it the other day. I'm on a roll this week. I read four books, I think. I read one that's 560 pages yesterday because I was bored. Seriously? Wow. Um, did, you, did you read Isaac Wright Jr.'s Mark for Life? That, that no. That is about a guy. He was, he's marked as a kingpin, 
and he didn't he was not a drug kingpin he they framed him he spent a lot of years in jail but he wound up going to law school he's a lawyer now and he finally figured out a way to prove that he was um committed they that they, they convicted him for murder because the judge was corrupt the da was corrupt the prosecutor was corrupt and the police were corrupt it, it wow. was probably i read this in like Najab time and I'm hoping that he'll come on my radio show because basically that's what's been happening. A lot of people are wrongly accused. And, you know, with people like you that did the Innocent Project and all the rest of it, and then this just proves it happens. So give us a well, little background about Robin and don't tell about the person that's not there anymore. It was very sad. But uh, I should, I just on this previous note that you were talking about, I did 30 yeah. uh, homicide cases, uh, yeah. 30, and uh, uh, I had a, 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 a real connection with uh, getting people out of prison who are innocent. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of my 30 murder cases, I was hired to represent a client after they'd been convicted of murder. Uh, with another lawyer and sentenced to life in prison for murder. And in both of the cases, when I started doing the appeal, uh, you have to look into the facts of the case. And I realized that both people, and these were two separate cases in separate periods of Mm -hmm. my legal career, I realized both people were 100% innocent. They had no connection Mm. with the murder at all. And so I was able, it took me four years in each case, but I was able to get both of the people out of prison. Uh, So I do know for a fact from personal experience that there are Mm -hmm. people in prison who've been convicted who are completely innocent, have no connection whatsoever with the murders that they're supposed to have committed. And uh, I'll tell you that there's nothing more horrible in mm-hmm. my mind, than sending someone to prison, depriving them of their liberty when they didn't do anything wrong at all. So, uh, you know, every time you hear about a situation like this, it's sort of heartbreaking. Uh, but getting back to Robin, uh, when I, I when I moved from Harper Collins over to St. Martin's, I'm with St. Martin's now, and I just love it over there. I've, Fabulous editors and uh, the the people that do the publicity and everything. They're just a wonderful group of people to work with, and uh, they wanted me to to do a series. And I I have two other series: the Amanda Jaffe and Dana Cutler series. Mm-hmm. Um, and so about half of my books are standalone. They're they're not in a series, and about half are in a series. So I was trying to think of. Um, uh, who I wanted to, uh, what type of character I wanted. And I got an interesting idea because uh, <clears throat> a lot of my books have very strong women characters as the, as the main, you know, as the main character. And uh, they get in dangerous situations. And in real life, uh, if a man and a woman fight, the man's probably got a big edge because they have upper body strength. Uh, they may have boxed or wrestled or done some kind of martial art when they were younger, so they would know a little bit more about how to fight correctly. 
so I was trying to figure out how could I make it realistic if I had a woman main character who uh, who gets in a fight with a man and and wins. So I, I didn't want the reader to say, well, that's ridiculous. That's sort of, that's silly because then it pulls the reader out of the story. So um, I created Robin, and her background is that she's from a small town in the Midwest, and her dad and her three older brothers all were champion wrestlers. And so she gets to high school, and she wants to be on the wrestling team, but uh, a lot of the parents object to having a girl wrestling with their son. So uh, the school board agrees and bars her from being on the wrestling team, and her dad hires a lawyer to sue, and they win, and she's allowed to wrestle. Uh, and that convinces Robin that she wants to be a lawyer when she grows up. But uh, mm. she's successful. She becomes the first girl to, to place in her district. But then when she gets to college, she's also extremely smart. She's a broke. She's, she's not only a, a good wrestler but she's also a you know brilliant uh individual so she gets to college where she majors in physics uh but she, and she realizes that division one school there's no chance she could ever wrestle because these guys are like cream of the crop but she still likes martial arts so she learns about a gym nearby where they teach mixed martial arts and she gets good enough to compete uh in the uh, in the in uh, 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 UFC, which is uh, and she she while she's in in college and then during her first year at Yale Law School, um, she earns her money for to pay for her tuition at Yale Law School by fighting on in Las Vegas on televised pay per view events and she gets a ranking as high as number ninth in the in the uh, country. Uh, mm. In her weight class, so so I I created Robin as a brilliant attorney, but she's also uh, a professional fighter, and I thought that would give her uh, make it realistic. And usually, in each book, she does get into some sort of situation where she has to, uh, to fight somebody. So that's that's Robin's background. Well, before I forget, Thursday, award-winning author John Land will be here with Blood Moon that he wrote with Heather Graham. On the 14th, this is the first, <laughs> the number one pain management interventionist doctor in Westchester, Dr. Sabrina Shu, and her co-author, um, Linda Spear, will be here to talk about when it hurts. So if you have any pain issues, just let me know. On the 16th, five of your favorite people, Charles Salzberg, Vincent Zandri, Jeff Bond, Lee Matthew Goldberg, and Dick Belsky, in a panel show, we're going to talk about crime and true crime and whatever else comes to their mind, because you just never know. And that's just <laughs> part of November. We've got a whole lot more, and I'm excited because D.P. Lyle's coming on at the end of December with Tallyman. So that's just part of what's happening, and I'm sure Phil's going to come out with something else that I can want to read. So <laughs> there's a murder. We won't say who. So tell me, you brought another character in here that I like. I hope you're not going to 
make him go away, but we never know. Who's Ken, and why does she bring him along? Well, uh, we'll get to- Ken Breedland is uh, the investigator for Robin's law firm. Yeah. And, uh, uh, he he is an uh, interesting guy. He looks uh, like an accountant. I shouldn't. I hope I'm not insulting accountants, but he's my dad was an accountant. But he, he he's uh, you know he, if you said well what what's his job you'd say maybe school teacher, librarian, accountant, something mm-hmm. like that. Nothing nothing you know involving anything physical, but he's actually a former. Um, Special Forces and CIA, and he's retired. And uh, uh, he, uh, after he retired, he got bored. He didn't want to play golf uh, every day or, uh, you know, play bridge or whatever. So he volunteered to help uh, with the cold case unit at the Portland Police Bureau in 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 in, in Oregon. I, I live in Oregon, and my all the books are set in in Oregon. So he volunteered to uh, work with Cold Case File. And then when he found out that Robbins Law Firm uh, needed an investigator, uh, one of the police detectives that he, he knew uh, told him about the opening and he applied and he's hired. So Ken is a crackerjack investigator who uh, who helps Robin in, in the series to, uh, uh, you know, to solve, uh, solve the case. Well, here's where it gets interesting, people. And he does a lot of the work on the Alvarez case. Yeah, he does. I like uh, him. So when Frank Melville invites Robin, he also invites Ken. And he invites Ken along. Mm -hmm. uh, He's thinking of hiring uh, Robin's firm to investigate other cases where uh, he thinks an innocent person is on death row. And one of them is the Corey Rockwell case. Well, we won't say what happens with all of this. But then there's a murder. And then all of a sudden, this guy Carl shows up. I don't know about him. And why does the doctor from the state hospital come in? And why do they need to search for the the crime scene? How would they even know that that's what happened? So I remember how that scene, I remember what, what, what you did to create that. That was really scary. So why why did somebody go and try to get get this person to come in? Well, uh, you know, again, uh, I, I I was trying <laughs> to have a lot of fun with this book, mm-hmm. and what I tried to do is put in every possible cliche from the uh, the Agatha Christie, John Dixon Carr. Uh, uh, Ellery Queen type cases, and of course mm. the 1940s black and white mysteries, and so they always, not always, but frequently have uh, some uh, uh, escape maniac from the hospital for the criminally insane, and so uh, at the base of Solitude Mountain, I put the the state hospital for the criminally insane, and uh, a detective. It, after this horrible storm isolates everybody, uh, this detective um, mm. shows up, and he says that the reason he's he's there is because uh, this uh, B 
serial killer, very dangerous serial killer, has escaped from the hospital for the criminally insane, and everyone's out looking for him, and he was in a car crash uh, because of the storm, and he's he's trapped up there too. So uh, there's he's a detect, detective, and he's, he he tells him that he thinks that there's there this guy who just escaped mm. as a murderer could be in in the hospital in inside Black Oak, but they're not sure. But he says it's a possibility. And then later, after the murder and the roads are cleared, the the uh, the uh, head person from the from the hospital shows up to uh, uh, because it, to to see if uh, when they do they do a search of the of Black Oaks to see if the if the serial killer is is still there. So that again, I like I said, I I was going through these books and saying, well, what types of of Characters does Agatha Christie or Ellery Queen or these guys put in these books, and and sure enough, a number of them have some escapee, escaped criminal. Maybe it's not from the hospital for the mm. insane, but they frequently have an ex, someone who is a criminal or who has hide, hid, hidden a criminal past in among the suspects. That's scary, let me tell you. So, this person comes in, whatever. And then all of a sudden, why do they ask Robin and Ken and some of the others to lead the search team? And who is Justin? Well, Justin is uh, Frank Melville's attorney. And mm. uh, his Frank, when Frank left the district attorney's office, he went into partnership with Justin's father, who someone he had known for years. And so uh, Justin is now a lawyer in that firm. Uh, Frank resigned from from left the firm when he found when he became very depressed because of of the confession, uh, uh, you know, from the guy that really killed it, killed uh, Alvarez's girlfriend. So he re- he retired from the firm, but Justin uh, is his lawyer. And he also is in love with Nellie, uh, Frank's Frank's daughter. So he he's up at Black Oaks on business that Frank has uh, has asked him to conduct. But he's also up there uh, because he he's uh, you know in love with Nellie and wants to see her. Mm. So before we end this, we've got a few more minutes here. Now, somebody gets killed, but we're not going to say who. We're not going to say how, because forget it. Describe, how does Robin assess the crime scene? And how did you, how did you create two, you know, the, more than one murder? Because oh, that was well, scary. You used, again, uh, I have, a, I have a, 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 there's a couple of murders, actually. Yeah. And I won't tell who, who gets bumped off. But yeah. uh, again, in in all of these uh, classic mysteries, there's usually not just one murder. There's usually one murder, and then there's another murder, and then there's another murder. So uh, I have uh, think I'm, I'm trying to think now. 
I think I have three three murders in yeah, that we do. occur uh, in the book, and uh, so you try to space things out. You know, first you have the one murder, and then in all of these books, a little bit later is another one, and a lot of times there doesn't appear to be a connection. Why? Uh, why was the second person killed? He doesn't seem to be any reason for it, and then. Uh, you tie it up with a solution at the end. So uh, that was a lot of fun also, setting up the uh, second and third victims and, uh, you know, trying to make it appear that there doesn't seem any reason why this second person was killed at all. Uh, why would anyone murder this individual? Uh, but then it becomes clear at the very end when you get the solution as to what the the, the the reason for the murder was, and it sort of plays into the uh, the way that Robin figures out who done it. If she figures it out, how does Jose wind up with all of this? Because I thought I was just like you, the purpose of it was basically to get Jose out of jail, right? And then well, I Corey, I Corey to Corey was they they had to decide. You know, Corey said that they that he didn't kill his wife, right? So how does Jose wind up at the end of this thing? Well, I wanted to, uh, I wanted Jose to have a happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> so because yeah. he had such a mis, his life's been so miserable. So I do work it out at the at the end of the book that he he comes out of it okay, and you have some hope that he'll be able to to reclaim his, uh, his the life that was taken away from him. I I try to all all of my books they they always have a lawyer and a murder in them, and uh, I always try to have a happy ending, meaning that the bad guy gets caught and gets his just desserts, and you know people come out of it better because I you know they're supposed to be enjoyable fun reads, and uh, I don't want to leave the readers really depressed at the end of the book. So I try to have the endings a little bit uplifting. So I I I, I figure out how to I figured out how to have Jose come out of this in one piece. Well, I was surprised. I'm not going to say who. I was sort of wondering about this person throughout the whole novel, and I'm saying, oh, that's pretty good. This is the reason why this person did whatever they did, and mm-hmm. that's that's scary. So when when you have a house like Black Oaks, and something happens to the you know to the whatever they are, how do they deal with that? Do they do some does somebody try to get it afterwards, or does somebody sell it, or does somebody get it, or anything? Frank only has you know, Nelly, right? That's it, right? Yeah, I nobody no, else. I I have no idea in real life what you do with a house where someone gets murdered. Fortunately, nobody's ever gotten. Murdered in any of the homes that mm-hmm. I've I've lived in, so <laughs> I, I I don't know what how you get how you get rid of that house if you want to sell. Of course, with the housing market the way it is nowadays, uh, people are either willing to spend anything to get any house. But uh, uh, like I said, fortunately, I've I've lived in a couple of homes that I've sold, and uh, nobody's been murdered in them. So. So I didn't have to worry about that as a selling point. I I wouldn't think want to be in a house that somebody got killed in. Definitely not. Mm-mm. 
I mean, <laughs> the, you, you just you just never know. So, which other characters do you want to talk about? And then we're going to talk about what's next from Ro- Robin and Ken. Are they coming back in another one together? Is that next? Yeah. So yeah, that, I'm, like I said, this I, it's really weird because when I I started out, I never ever thought I'd ever write a novel at all. I mean, I never even thought about it because mm. I was in awe of writers since I read so much as a kid. And now I'm working on my 27th novel, mm. uh, and that's back in New York being edited. So uh, it should the edits and everything should be done by either late this year or early next year. Uh, and mm. then I'm working on a standalone. So the next the next book that I that the one that's in New York being edited is another Robin Lockwood, but the mm. one after that doesn't have Robin in it. So I'm taking a break from the from the series with the 28th book, but that won't come out for a couple of years now. So um, oh dear, uh, the one I'm well, I'll, there'll be one out next year. Uh, it's tentatively called All Dead, and uh, and then I'm working on another one. Uh, so one will come out next year so I can be on your show again. And then uh, yeah. one will come out in 2024. So uh, uh, that's, you know, I've, I've got at least two more going. Well, we're going to have to see when you're available to do panels, too. Oh, I love doing panels. Yeah, it's just that it was too bad. The, the one that I'm doing on the 16th, we're going to talk about crime and true crime. And then we're doing another one. I'm doing another one. I don't know where I get this insanity from, but whatever. Um, D- David Putnam, Tim Ahrens, Bruce Coffin, and believe it or not, Marilyn Levinson. And we're going to talk about exactly what you're talking about, how to write an Agatha Christie murder, because she does. And for those oh. of you that, yeah, I'm serious. If you want to join that one, let me know. It's January 18th, but they're doing it at 10. And then... Um, it's 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 I don't I come up with these things out of out of nowhere, and I just thought I, if anybody didn't read Marple, it's twelve authors that got together to write an individual story, Agatha Christie story. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, that sounds you know, like it, a lot of fun. It was interesting, I'll tell you. Some of the authors really wrote some great stuff like her, and some of them, well. You know, I love the book. It was good. The stories were great. So that was an interesting uh, one. And everybody wants, yeah, Marilyn Levinson writes um, like Agatha Christie too, but this book really got me because you had more, you know, suspense and more characters and more people. And I'm not going to tell anybody if I figured it out because it doesn't matter. It's just that yeah. the next time I go in the elevator, I think I'm going to walk. Seriously. <laughs> You know so, what, what? What you said is interesting. My, uh, I did a Sherlock Holmes short story in a study in mm. Sherlock, which was the same thing where they had a whole bunch of best-selling authors do it. And uh, I was asked to do it by by Les Klinger, who was the editor. And I mm. said I'll only do it if my brother works with me. My brother Jerry Margolin is a Baker mm. Street irregular and a internationally known expert on Sherlock Holmes. So mm. that was a load of fun. I got to collaborate with my brother and write a, a Sherlock Holmes story. So uh, it's really neat when you try to imitate, you know, the style or the, the 
the char- you bring back the character who's really famous and try to do a, a short story with that character. So the the Marple one sounds really like a lot of fun to read. It was. I I don't know who I copied copy from for my crazy series. That my new book is at the editor. I braved it. I, I wish I could write like you guys. It's called Faces Behind the Stone, The Accused, and it's ten stories based on people that were wrongly accused, and half of them are true. I didn't make them up. Yeah. Half of, yeah, half of them are true, for real. And it's told from the point of view of the dead person behind the gravestone. And two of them, I tried something different. There are nine people in a cemetery, but you don't know who they are because they have unmarked and no, no names, and people think they're dead, but they're really not. They're somewhere else. So I, yeah, I attempted to do... Yeah, I hope so. I hope everybody likes it. Those, that one... And one other story, you know, uh, where a girl wakes up and she's not where she thinks she is and what happens to her at the end. It was just something I came up with, but I don't know. Uh, that's why I read your stuff and I read um, a whole bunch. But Sherlock Holmes, my, my students, I had taught sixth grade, and I taught some very bright kids, and they love Sherlock Holmes, and they actually wrote their own version of some of the stories. Oh, that's, yeah, because, a good, because, that's a good project to give a school class. Yeah, well, they were extremely intelligent and extremely brilliant, and I still know that because one's my foot doctor and one owns a very big bridal store uh, in um, in the Manhattan, and he's all over the world. But where can everybody find out about you? And um, let me know if you want, when you're available for a panel, so I could ask everybody else. This way, I could do it at eleven when you can do it. Yeah, the best thing is to let me know dates because. I travel a lot, both like a yeah, that's what I'm saying, yeah. During this week, and then my my wife and I travel a, a lot. So uh, if I'm if I'm around, I love doing panels, uh, basically because I like meeting other authors and doing. You know, it's nice not to have to carry the whole burden. Uh, you get, and then you get to listen to other people and meet other really smart people. So it's. I always like panels, so if you've got an idea for one that you think I've I got lots in, of ideas. Okay, let me know, and then you know, let me know dates. And the biggest thing is, if I'm around, I love to do it. Good, because I'm thinking of February or March at this point. I, I I'm like in shock because I just got um, I have one, two, three, four, five in February already. I don't know how, but I do. And it's it's ama- it's amazing. Everybody wants an interview, <laughs> and yeah, and I don't mind because it it keeps my husband said it keeps me out of the stores going shopping. He prefers that. <laughs> so that's fun. So where can everybody get all of your books? And I will get, oh, send there's... you some dates before I decide what what the topic is. Is there anything specific that you want to talk about in a panel that you haven't talked about yet? No, it's just whatever you're interested in because. Okay, it, I'll you know, do it. again, if it fits, if it fits in, if it's something that I can uh, add to intelligently, then that I'll do it. If it's something I really don't know about, then I tend to to not want to do it because I, you know, I, I don't, I, I like to, I don't like to just talk if I don't know what I'm talking about. So, it, if you come up with an interesting idea that I could actually contribute mm. to, then I'd love to do it. 
probably more like what we talked game, about today, because a lot of a lot of authors are writing about people wrongly accused, and that would really be great. Yeah, that's right in my bailiwick. I, you know, like I said, I've done thirty homicide cases, uh, and two of them involved innocent people, and I've had other clients over the mm-hmm. years who accused of a crime that they had nothing to do with. So. I do have a lot of personal experience in that in that area, so that that's something I I, I could contribute to. Uh, as far well, as when you get murder at Black Oaks, uh, you know it's it's you can go online, uh, mm-hmm. Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You could go to your independent bookstores. Uh, it's sold every place. It's you know it's it, it, I, I always encourage people to go to independent. Uh, because mm-hmm. I like to support independence, but uh, if you don't have an independent bookstore nearby, there's, you know, mm. a, anywhere you can think of where they sell books, uh, Murder of Black Oaks will be available. Well, I found out something very interesting yesterday, just for fun. I Googled myself, and I, you'd be amazed at where your books are. There's, they're like in hundreds of hundreds of places that you don't even know, and bookstores that I've never even heard of. Carrying just about just about everything, so you just don't know if you just probably Google Philip Margul and you're going to find yourself everywhere. I wish there was an independent bookstore here. We have Barnes and Noble, and that's it, nothing else. And and basically, I get the, I like reviewing books because friend doesn't have to worry about them; they just come to me, which is even better. So thank you so much. I don't I don't know how the weather is where you are, but here we're going to get rain and there's going to um, a tropical storm coming too they said pretty soon you know it's really so, interesting we had horrible weather for a while but I'm sitting looking out my I'm doing this from home and it's beautiful today in Portland sun's out and it just looks gorgeous uh, last couple of days we had torrential rains but looks like today it's going to be just beautiful and sunny so uh but I'm going to Minneapolis uh, mm. tomorrow. Oh, God, they're expecting my, it. Well, my wife's getting an award, uh, an outstanding alumni award from the University oh, nice. of Minnesota. And then I'm starting my book tour at Once Upon a Crime in Minneapolis. Mm. And I'm going to Murder by the Book in Houston and then uh, Half Price Books in Dallas and then back to Portland to do Powell's. So uh, the book tour starts, and, and then also my wife's getting that award. So I'm, it's going to be a pretty exciting week. I hope so. Thank you so much. That's great. Everybody, it's a beautiful day. It's it's very cold here. It's 50-something degrees, but you don't need a jacket in this weather. It's fine. Um, the, the sun isn't too bad. It's nice. Phil, have a great trip. Tell your wife congratulations. Everybody have a great day, and bye.